Father, we thank you, Father, for this time once again, Lord Father, when we delve into your word, Lord Father. And as we study from your word, Lord Father, I pray, Lord, that you will give us truths that we can apply in our day-to-day -day living today, Lord Father. Father God, I pray, Lord, that every one of us will be ready to receive that which you have for us. Thank you, Father, that your presence is here with us. And thank you, Lord, that you are doing mighty things in our midst, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, it is often said that the life of Joseph, the 11th son of Jacob, is the Old Testament shadow of the life of Jesus Christ. There are a lot of points of comparison between Joseph and Jesus. I'll just quote a few points. Now, both were beloved of their fathers. Genesis 37, verse 3, first part says, Now Israel, that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than all his children. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, second part, we, we hear God speaking from heaven, God thundering from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Joseph was beloved of his father, and so was Jesus. Both were envied, and both were hated without a real cause or a reason. Both foretold that one day they would rule. Both were sent out by their fathers to seek their brother's welfare. Joseph and Jesus. Both were rejected. Both were condemned to die. Both were sold for pieces of silver. Both resisted temptation. Both of them were falsely accused. And the list goes on and on and on. Bible theologians suggest or claim that there are between 60 to 72 similarities between the lives of Joseph and Jesus. Now the interesting thing is that Joseph was a man just like you and me. He was no different from you and me. He was a man born of a woman with brothers and sisters. He ate like you and me. He lived like you and me. And there was a lot to say that he was just a man like you and me. But there is actually very little comparison between the life of Joseph and us. The life of Joseph can be compared for its similarities to that of Jesus. But you really look at the life of Joseph we don't compare with that. We can't compare ourselves with the, lives of, with the life of Joseph on many, many points. Instead, you go back one generation and you find that a study of the early patriarchs shows that our lives can actually be compared to the life of Jacob, the father of Joseph. 
Now, personally, I would actually prefer to be compared to Joseph. Okay, Jacob, uh, you know, everybody, as we have said a couple of messages back, is, is remembered as the deceiver. So certainly, I don't want to be compared to Jacob. I would like to be compared to Joseph. Why? He resisted temptation. He grew up to be the second most powerful man in Egypt. He was next to the king. He had everything. So personally, I would really like to be compared to Joseph rather than Jacob. But the fact of the matter is, it's easier to compare ourselves with Jacob than with Joseph. You see, Jacob had a relatively flawed personality, unlike Joseph, who, as is being portrayed in the Word of God, has a relatively flawless personality. There are points where, yes, there were failings, but in many ways, he's a flawless personality, and that's why he is compared to Jesus. But Jacob, throughout the scripture, is always portrayed as a flawed personality. And then what do we find? So when we start comparing ourselves with Jacob, what inference do I get out of this? What, what does this tell me? It tells us simply that you and I are not as good as what we imagine ourselves to be. You know? In our personal portfolio, which is the trend today, in our personal portfolio, we tend to glorify ourselves. But in reality, we are flawed creatures, you and me. And we are just as flawed as Jacob. We'll try, we'll try to see that as we go along. You and I are not the flawless people we try to portray ourselves. We try to portray ourselves as the best. We try to portray ourselves as, I do no mistakes. All the mistakes are done by others. You ask any member of the praise and worship team, and they will say, oh, the others don't sing well, I sing well. You ask any member of the, of the uh, outreach team, they will say, if it was only me, I would have saved the whole world by now. But it's the other members of my team who let me down. You ask teachers, and you will say, I wish it was only me who was dealing with this group of students. I would have made them world beaters by now. We are not that flawless person we try to portray. Okay? We, in reality, are hugely flawed people. And now, as we enter, now, this is only my introduction, because we are now entering into the third and final part of our study on the blessings of Jacob. We will see that the life of Jacob is actually the Old Testament shadow or a reflection of our own lives. And we'll try to see that as we go along today. And so the title of my concluding part on Jacob is simply Still More Blessings of Jacob. Now, please turn with me to Genesis chapter 32. 
And let me read the whole chapter from the NKJV. Genesis chapter 32. In fact, I will read from verse 55 of Genesis 31. Verse 55. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned to his place. Chapter 32. So Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell the Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is also coming to meet you, <clears throat> and four hundred men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. And he said, If Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Then Jacob said, O oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your family, and I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10, and 10 foals. Then he delivered them to the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass over before me and put some distance between successive droves. And he commanded the first one, saying, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going? Whose are these in front of you? Then you shall say, They are your servant Jacob's. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. So he commanded the second, the third, and all who followed the droves, saying, in this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterward I will see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on over before him, but he himself lodged that night in the camp. And he arose that night and took his two wives his two female servants and his eleven sons and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. He took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. Then Jacob was left alone 
and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Now, over my last two messages, <clears throat> we have dealt with the young Jacob, and the not-so-young Jacob. Today we will move on to the not-so-old Jacob, and towards the end we'll also look at the life of the old Jacob. Now in chapter 32, we at last see Jacob freed from the clutches of his father-in-law, Laban. Time and again, Laban had deceived Jacob, and finally, Jacob got the courage to stand up to his father-in-law and read him the riot act. Okay, he said, this is enough. I am done. I'm on my own. It's enough, my father-in-law, that you have deceived me all this time. It's enough that I have worked for my two wives. It's enough that I have worked for you and prospered you. Let's just read Genesis chapter 31, verses 36 onwards. Genesis 31, verse 36. Then Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that you have so hotly pursued me? Although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren, your brethren that they may judge between us both. These 20 years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was in the day the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. This is when Jacob read the riot act to Laban. He said, that's it. I'm done. I'm off. 
Now, I want us to remember this because we're going to come back to it a little later. We're going to put in an application of this a little later. And so finally, Jacob departs with his family and all his possessions. Now, at this point, please remember one thing. 20 years back, when Jacob first came to Laban's house, he had nothing except a staff. He had nothing except a staff. He was a fugitive, having run away from the wrath of his brother. And now, he was returning to his father's home, a rich man, with oxen, with donkeys, with goats, with sheep, with ram, with men servants, with women servants, two wives, 11 sons, and a daughter. He was indeed a very rich and prosperous man. And he was obviously a man favored and blessed by God. Now remember, this is the man we said, the deceiver. And as he returns to the land of his father Isaac, he knows one thing. He knows that he has to make peace with his brother Esau at some point of time. He cannot get to his father's house till he passes through the place where Esau is. And, no, and so he knows he has to make peace with his brother before he gets there. So the Jacob who is now returning to the land of his father is not the young Jacob who exchanged a bowl of stew with his brother for a birthright. He is not the not so young 40 year old Jacob who was deceived by his father-in-law. He is a wise, shrewd, profit-oriented 60 year old Jacob who over the years has learned how to plan and to prepare. And this is what he does as he anticipates meeting with his brother Esau. He has no clue as to the current attitude of his brother Esau. All he knows about his brother Esau is that 20 years back when he ran away, his brother wanted to kill him. 20 years have passed and he has no idea how his brother is going to react. So proactively, what does Jacob do? He prepares his flock. He prepares his servants. He prepares his family so as to deal with Esau. He is not just blindly going forward. He prepares. He is not going in the strength that I've got everything with me now, so I can still go and face this Esau. Who is Esau? No, Esau is his brother. Esau is his elder brother. He can't forget that. Esau is not a stranger. And he doesn't just go foolhardily. He says, let me prepare. And so he prepares his people. He divides them into companies. He sets them up in divisions, droves, as it's called in the Bible. If Esau was still angry, Jacob had an escape route planned for his family. Remember, he had even kept his family on the other side of the brook. His family was right at the end, on the other side of the brook, Jabok. So he, Jacob had done his planning very well. 
Now, if Esau had mellowed down over the last 20 years, he would see how prosperous Jacob had become, and Jacob would take it up from that particular point. And then, in chapter 33, you will see that the big meeting happens, the meeting between Esau and Jacob, the big anticipated meeting between Esau and Jacob. It was a meeting which restored relationships. 20 years back, there was a break in relationship. 20 years later, there is a restoration of relationship. Let's just read a few verses. Genesis chapter 33. Let me read verses 1 to 4 and then 8 to 9. Genesis 33. Now Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming. And with him were 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. And he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And then verse 8. Then Esau said, What do you mean by all this company which I met? And he said, These are to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Esau was no longer angry. Esau has become prosperous in his own way. Jacob was also prosperous, hugely prosperous. Both the brothers, hugely prosperous. The anger that was there has, mellow, has melted away. Now it is a time for restoration of relationship. Actually, you go on to read the rest of the chapter. You will say, Esau says, okay, let me go ahead and let's go together. And then he, Jacob says, no, you go ahead. My family is tired. My children are small. They, are, they, are, they have had a hard night. So we will follow behind. Okay, there is no war. There is no enmity any longer at that particular point of time. Things may change later, but at this particular point of time, there was a restoration of relationship. Okay, that's the history of the not-so-old Jacob. But let's pause for a moment and see what's the message for us. This is something to do with Jacob. Okay, but what about us? Now remember, I told you right at the beginning of this service, this message, that Jacob's life is a shadow or even a reflection of our own. So I want us to think about how Jacob's life pertains to our life today. Number one, when we are young, or when we were young, depending on what your age is now, now, many of you are in your teens, in your 20s, and in your 30s. We behave or we behaved like the young Jacob. We were no different from the young Jacob. We had our dreams and our objectives, and we chased them without really bothering about the methods we use. Isn't that what many of us do even now? When we start our careers, 
when we start our life energetic, with or without qualifications, but we are ready to face the world, we have objectives, we have dreams of our future, and we say, I'm, let me just get to that objective. The end justifies the means. This is our statement. This is what we say. It doesn't matter on how many toes I step. It doesn't matter how many people I push down, but I need to get there. Isn't that what we all say as young people? Now, some of us older people need to think back. How many toes did we step upon? How many lives have we pushed down to climb up the corporate ladder? How many lives have we said? Because we have done it. We are go-getters at that age. The young Jacob was a go-getter. He knew what he wanted. What he wanted was the birthright. We wanted something. At that age, we don't think about niceties. We don't think about respecting human rights. We don't think about the feelings of others. My way or no way is the only way. Now, you've done it. I've did it. I've done it. No hiding that fact. I'm not going to say that I was a saint. And I'm sure that older folk here will be able to recognize with me that we have stepped on toes. We have not been as pure as what we like to portray ourselves at an older age. And you young folk, this is what you are doing. You don't really think about respecting the feelings of others, do you? I've got to get it. This is my dream. This is my objective. If anybody stands in my way, I'm going to push him out of the way. That's what we do. That's the young Jacob. And that's why I said throughout life, we are like Jacob. Jacob had a dream. Jacob had an objective. Objective. He did it. He went for it. You see, at that stage of life, the boundaries between right and wrong are often blurred or they simply overlap. It's only later on in life that we say this is right and this is wrong. But at a particular stage of life, the boundaries overlap. And that's why you find, you find children can simply lie without thinking twice about it. And it doesn't bother them at all because the boundary, it's, there's a lot of overlap of ideas there. The boundary between right and wrong has not been clarified at that age. Our dream is all that we chase. We give ourselves a lot of license to do whatever we wish to do in order to chase that dream. Jacob did it, you and I do it, you and I have done it. Number two. This is when we hit 40 years. This is when we are the not-so-young Jacobs. So those of you in your late 30s or early 40s, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. Now, if you look back over the last five or six years of your lives, you will see that you have probably been trying to climb the corporate ladder in whatever profession you're doing. 
And believe me, you're probably succeeding. Two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back, it doesn't matter, but that's the way of the corporate world. Okay, but you're doing it, and you're getting forward. But believe me, you're 35 to 42, 43. For the next 20 years, you're going to be like Jacob, working for somebody. For the next 20 years, you are going to be slogging for someone else, some Leban or the other. Give them any name you want. It doesn't matter whether you are in Oman, whether you are in India, whether you are in Nigeria, whether you are in Kenya, whether you are in Canada, whether you are in the United States of America, or whether you are sitting in Mars. You will work countless hours. I'm, I'm pausing so that you can think about your own countless hours. Some of you sit in your offices from morning to next day morning. Not, not even morning to night. It's morning to next day morning. Then you rush home for a shower, and then you're back in your office till next day morning. Your home is nothing but an extended toilet. Okay? You work countless hours. You pour out all your talents and your creativity. And your labor will be laughing all the way to the bank while you are left carrying an empty bag. Because all the profits that you're making goes into his account, not into your account. Whether you work eight hours or whether you work 18 hours, the bonus is still the same. You don't get extra bonus for working 10 hours extra. Brothers and sisters, now this applies to both, huh? so don't sisters don't look at your husbands and say you are doing this. And so, brothers don't look at your wives and say, see, you don't work all the time in your place. It applies to both. Brothers and sisters around the age of 40, listen to me. Start focusing on your families. Focus on your children. Focus on your spouse. Focus on your health. Focus on building your home. I have heard so many people say that the company will not survive without That is the lie of the devil. If that company is so dependent on you, you better let it go. That is a very rocky company. That's a very, very unstable company if it is dependent on you alone. Please build your family first before you build your company. 101 people can build a company. Only you can build your family. Unless you want an outsider to come and build your family, which is disaster. No outsider can come and build your family. 
Any outsider who comes into your family is going to destroy your family. Jacob worked for 20 years for his father-in-law. It was God's grace that in the middle of that deceptive labor, Jacob was still able to prosper and set apart something for himself. It was purely God's grace. Otherwise, it was purely Laban who was prospering and, the, and uh, Laban's sons were also enjoying the prosperity. They were not working. They were looking at the prosperity which their brother-in-law was bringing in and they were enjoying life. Now, is this the situation you are in? You need to recognize where you are. Jacob recognized his situation. And at one point he said, enough is enough. I've got to take care of my family. It's time some of us put our foot down and said, enough is enough. I've got to take care of my family. Number three, these are messages for us. Wisdom comes with age. It is the not-so-old Jacob who knew how to plan, propose, and prepare. See, for 20 years, the guy has lived in uh, Laban's house. And then when he decides it's time to come out, he knows, I'm going to my father's house, but on the way is my brother. I don't know what state my brother is in. He was a wild man who used to go after wild beasts. And if he chases me like I'm some kind of a rabbit or something like that, I'm dead. So I need to plan, I need to prepare. That's what Jacob did at the age of 60. See, wisdom comes with age. Young people don't despise old people and say that they are calcified thinkers. We are at least calcified thinkers. Okay, the not so, the, the not so young Jacob was only a calcified worker. He was not a thinker. It was only at the age of 60 that he started thinking. And then he planned. He said, okay, Esau's on the way. This is what I'm going to do. I am going to plan, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to set things in order before I go forward. It's, it's not wrong to plan, to prepare, to propose, and to do things in an orderly manner. Are there relationships that you have to repair? Jacob had to repair a relationship. There was one major broken relationship in his family, that was Jacob and Esau, brothers. Now, is there a relationship that you have to repair? Are you hiding from somebody and you don't want to meet somebody because of a relationship issue? You've got to face it. You've got to plan for it. You've got to prepare for it. You've got to take what it comes, what comes. But you've got to be ready for that repair of relationship. Do it. Do it now. Don't wait till one leg is in the grave. Are there still things for you to do? 
plan and prepare for them before it's too late. Don't sit back and say that God will take care of everything. Recognize that you have talents and experience and God-given wisdom. If God is going to take, take care of everything, why do I need to even work? God will hang a feeding bottle in front of me in my house. And every four hours, I just need to go to that feeding bottle and get my nutrition. But God said, use your two hands and work. He didn't give me a feeding bottle. You need to prepare. Don't sit back. Don't say that God is going to take care of everything and I need to do nothing. Okay, we are not created to do nothing. We are created to do what God wants us to do. Jacob proactively prepared himself and his family before meeting the challenge, the assumed challenge of Esau. You and I need to learn to trust God in every situation, but we also need to learn to, to know what to do. And when we know that, we need to be able to do it, and that includes planning. Turn with me to Luke chapter 14, verses 28 and 29. Luke 14, 28 to 29. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him? You see, we are called to plan and to prepare. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. But those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. Let's finally come to the old Jacob. But before we get to the old Jacob, there is still one more thing to recognize in the not-so-old Jacob. In Genesis chapter 32, we won't read this, we have read it already. From verses 22 to 32, we read of Jacob wrestling with God. This is a beautiful character of Jacob which you and I need to grab. As a young boy, Jacob recognized the value of blessing of the birthright. As an older man, Jacob recognized the value of grabbing hold of God and not letting go. Today, you and I need to understand the importance of chasing the things of God and the value of holding on to God. We are so busy holding on and chasing so many things that we have chosen not to chase the things of God and hold God. We are holding the gods of this world. Jacob knew it right from a young age. The birthright was the means of his blessings from God. And he said, I need that. 
And in this, in chapter 32, we see him wrestling with God. And he says, I will not let you go till you bless me. He grabbed hold of God. You and I need to understand Jacob. You and I need to grab hold of God. Nothing is accomplished in life unless you have God with you. Forget every other thing. Grab God. God will bring the whole world into your house. He will provide you everything that you need and more. You chase the world, it is like the horizon. You will never get it. It's always moving away from you. Don't chase the horizon, chase God. Because God never moves away from you. You move to God, God moves to you. It's a very simple task. So let's grab hold of God. Let's hold him. Let's not let go. Jacob did it. You and I need to do it. Finally, my final thing is on the old Jacob. Now this is best summarized in Genesis 37 verse 2. Genesis 37 verse 2. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. What kind of a statement is that? This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, and it goes on. Hello, I want to know the history of Jacob. The verse starts by saying that this is the history of Jacob. And the next thing we read is about Joseph. The simple truth of the matter is this. You have made it if your children have made it. Invest in your children. Don't invest in yourself. Don't waste your time investing in yourself. Invest in your children. They are the future. And your name is made when they have made it. You can rest in peace when your children have biographies and chapters and books written about them. You know God is with you when you see your children with God. What are you doing about that? What are you doing to introduce your children to God? Are you depending on the Friday school teacher to introduce your child to God? Mistake. I'm not saying anything against the Friday school teachers. They are doing a fantastic job. But it's not their business to introduce your child to God, to your God. It's your business to introduce your child to your God. You invest in your children. Your history is recognized in the name of your children. It's often said, and as teachers we know this, especially in Friday school, Sunday school, show me the child and I'll tell you who the parents are. 
you can recognize everything about what happens in a home by just talking, observing, listening to a child. You and I, as elder people, are capable of putting on multiple masks. Children don't. And therefore, they exhibit exactly who you are. And that's what it says here. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And I find that an amazingly articulate summary of the life of a person. One sentence. Because when we read Joseph, we know that he became the second most powerful man in Egypt. We know that he was a favored man. We know that he is the comparison to Jesus Christ. Who's his father? Jacob. You see, that's the history you want. That's the history. That's the name that you want when your name is being quoted. Or that's the story you want when your name is being quoted. See, Jacob saw it. Jacob saw the success of his children, especially his beloved Joseph. Now, it does not mean that the children are not going to go through tough times. They are. Joseph had tough times. He went through the pit. He was robbed of everything that he had. He was thrown into jail. He had tough times, but it was from the pit to the palace. You see, Jacob saw it, and my prayer simply is that you and I will see the success and the promotion of our children. Amen. And my final word on the old Jacob is simply this. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 49, verse 3. Genesis chapter 49, verse 3. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his lust and was gathered to his people. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his lust and was gathered to his people. Jacob, even at the point where he was going to go in the presence of God, was a strong person and was in command of all his faculties. And our prayer simply is this, you and I will not be vegetables, helpless and weak, but shall be the commanding giants God has meant us to be, strong to the very end. So go ahead, read the book of, read the history of Jacob with a new perspective. The young Jacob, relate yourself to that. The not-so-young Jacob, relate yourself to that. The not-so-old Jacob, some of us can relate ourselves to that because I'm, wisdom is dawning upon me. I'm a couple of years short of 60. So wisdom is slowly dawning upon me. 
Like many of you, I've also served others. Okay. And then let's wait till we reach the old age Jacob, when we shall be in command of every situation. We shall not be vegetables. Okay, but we shall be strong for the Lord, doing what he wants us to do, seeing our children and our children's children rise higher than what we have ever been. That is what Jacob is all about. God bless you. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Let us stand to our feet for a minute. Close our eyes. Just to recollect everything what you have heard for the last 45 minutes. What are you and where are you when you identify yourself with Jacob's life? We are all chosen. We are all blessed. But God is expecting much more than what we think about it. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant whom you have used to speak to us. Lord, we are all chosen children of yours. We are all named by the children of the living God. Joseph had an encounter with you, and he has succeeded in his life. Lord, in the same way, help us to have an encounter with you. Lord, to achieve what you are stored for us. Lord, strengthen us by the Spirit of your, your, the Holy Spirit. Lord, give us the grace. Give us more of your power. Lord, to overcome every temptation what we are facing in this world. Lord, there are challenges in our personal life, in our family life, more than everything in our spiritual life. Lord, battle is ours, victory is, battle is yours and victory is ours. Lord, it is you who won the victory on the cross. Today, once again, it's a privilege for us to remember what you have won on the cross, O oh Father. Father, we thank you. Thank you for forgiving our sins. Thank you for sending your only Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, to be crucified on the cross. Lord, to save us. Save us from this darkness of this world. Lord, to give us the hope for the eternity. Lord, continue to help us in the days to come. Let this day be a day of, once again, a reminder for us to recollect everything what you are to us and what you want us to be. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Please take your seat and turn to your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 11. 
Now it's a time for us to go to the Lord's table. I will read from verse 23. For I have received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till it comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many are asleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Dear children of God, as the time is limited to us, once again it's a reminder for us for what is the Lord's tables means to us. It is a meaning of the, the, it is a memorial. First of all, the meaning, if you look at it, it's first thing, it is a memorial. The scripture says from 23 to 25, we eat the bread in the memory of his body and we drink the cup, the fruit of the wine, in memory of his blood. Secondly, it is a proclamation. We proclaim our faith in the efficiency of the Lord's death. And that death it was indeed for our sins, those who are accepted him as a Lord and Savior. And we also proclaim our faith in the Lord's return. That is, for it has to be done till he comes. So we are also proclaiming not only of our forgiveness of our sin, or the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, and also his return. Thirdly, it is a communion, a fellowship or sharing in the blood of Christ. And as we partake, we commune with the blood of Jesus Christ. Sense of reinforcing blessings we enjoy through the blood of Jesus Christ. We commune with the body of Christ. That is the sense of reinforcing fellowship together in the body of Christ, that is the church. The second main observation in this, it is a loss of It has to be done with reverence. 
So that's why we should take it in a worthy manner. With respect for the supreme price Jesus paid for our sins. We cannot take it very lightly. He has paid a supreme price for it. So we have to remember and uh, uh, reverence for it. And failure to observe with the proper reverence brings condemnation. It is so evident or clear in the scripture. One will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Lord. One will eat the drink, the judgment to himself. Thirdly, it has to be done with a self-examination, such as reflecting upon one's spiritual condition. It is a time once again for us to examine ourselves with a past life and also what you are today. It is a time for us to think, forgive, ask for forgiveness from our Lord. If we have any unforgiven sin in us before coming to the Lord, it's a time for us to confess before him and uh, believe that God forgives us. So we should not do anything willfully that will lead us into guilty. Partaking together in one bread and uh, one body, we commune not just with the Lord alone, we also with one another. So, finally, the Bible is the evidence that it was done weekly. It has to be done on as often as possible, the Bible recommends. And we know that it's not possible practically as we are having it on a monthly basis. Once in a month, that is the first week of every month, we have, to, we have enough time to prepare ourselves. So it is not only on this day we prepare and come, it should be maintained. So the salvation is not at once. It has, we have to work for it. In the same way, God expects us to be holy children. So we have to prepare ourselves. When we come, once again, to the Lord's table, remember what God has commanded us to remember. First of all, of his death. Secondly, about his return. In the same way, we have died to our sins, and we are also having a great hope that we also will, the Lord is going to come. It is not the end that we should be with him as he comes. So dear children, please close our eyes. Once again, confess before him, we have an unforgiven sin in him. With anybody, if you have any hatredness, anger, or whatever, which is against God, ask for forgiveness. God is merciful. We should take this table, take part in this table with full of consciousness that our sins are forgiven. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for each and every one of us. Lord, once again, we surrender ourselves before you. Forgive all our sins, O oh Father. As you have done on the cross, we remember and we thank you for what you have done on the cross. But here we are going to celebrate 
the victory what you have won on the cross. Lord, in this time, bless the bread and the wine which kept before us. Sanctify it. As you are going to take part in this, Lord, bless us and give us the Lord, the assurance that we remember your death and your coming. And also it's a challenge for us to proclaim the death, burial, resurrection and the coming of the Lord to this world. And also we live in this world as you want us to be prepared ourselves to meet you as you are going to come. Thank you, Lord, for accepting our prayers. In Jesus' precious name we are praying. Once again, dear children of God, this table is kept for the children of who those who are accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior and obey the Lord in the waters of baptism. So if your conscience says that you cannot take part, it's better to obey the Lord. Nothing, you are going to lose it. You can prepare yourselves and take part in the coming days. So now the ushers are there to help you and please coordinate with them, cooperate with them. Thank you. Come to the table of mercy, prepare with the wine and the bread, all of our hungry and thirsty, come and your souls will be fed, come at the
betrayed, you tell the God. After giving thanks, you live it up. This is my blood, broken for you. And as you drink it, remember me. This is my This is another communion we have partaken. We signified the last communion for this year. The first shadow of uh, Holy Communion can be seen in the, uh, Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of most God high. Jesus had towards the communion has been celebrated in the, look, in the scripture. That is Luke 22, verse 15. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. 
this is what Jesus has done. His desire is to have that intimacy with us. His desire is for him to celebrate with us, to have that Passover with us. His desire with his disciple, knowing fully that the time has come, his desire is to have that intimacy and friendship with his disciples. Whatever we have done now, this communion that we have taken is what God has chosen. I want you to think back and look back for every communion that you have taken this year. Are you taking it in holiness? Are you taking it all heartfully? Are you taking it in a way that God can look at you and say, welcome a good servant. This is another one that we have taken. The Lord Almighty God will remember us for good in Jesus' name. So the implication of this communion is to fellowship with God. Is to have that intimacy with God. So we have taken it now. Begin to think in your heart. Do you have that intimacy? Is what you are doing allow you to have that pure fellowship with God? Begin to tell God, Lord, these are the areas that I need to correct myself. These are the areas that is not allowing me the proper fellowshipping with you. These are the areas that is not making me to have that in-depth intimacy with you. Commit everything unto God that this communion that you have partake, which is the last one for this year, that God in his mercy, have mercy over us, have mercy over me, have mercy over you. That the expectation of God for the communion in our life, which is for fellowshipping and intimacy, will be established firmly in our heart. Begin to tell God, explain everything to God. You know those areas of your life that is keep reminding you that I've taken this communion, but it's not enough. It's not enough. These are the area of my life, law, that is keeping me away from having that in-depth intimacy with you. Having that fellowship with you. Father, have mercy and forgive me. Having asked for forgiveness, Lord, I've taken this communion. And all the communion that I've taken, right from January up to this time, because you are a merciful God, let those communion, let it be fruitful in my life. Begin to open your mouth and begin to tell God, every communion that I've taken, it shall never be in vain. It must be fruitful in our life. It must be fruitful. In the mighty name of Jesus, Father, we call upon you that every communion that we have partake right from January up to this time, everything that is negative in our life, that is not allowing all this communion we have, we have taken, to be fruitful in our life. Father, have mercy. Remove them in the mighty name of Jesus. Separate us completely in the mighty name of Jesus. And every communion that we have partaken this year, Lord, we pray that it shall be fruitful for us in Jesus' name. And it shall be useful for your kingdom in the mighty name of Jesus. Blessed be your holy name. Thank you, almighty God. Once again, God, we thank you. We appreciate you for the blessing of Jacob that we have had today. We give you glory. We give you adoration. The book of Isaiah 43, 1 says, I've created you, O Jacob. I've formed you, O Israel. 
have called you by name and have brought you, you are mine. Father, we are yours. Every blessing that you have for us for the rest of the year, Father, we pray that you will shower it over us in Jesus' name. Whatever we have done that can take all this blessing away, Father, because you are a merciful God, we pray that you will forgive us in the mighty name of Jesus. The story of Jacob has reminded us that you always forget the past. You always forget about our past and bring us together. You separate us from our past. Father, whatever be our past that may not allow your promises for us this year to come to pass. Father, we call upon you. Have mercy and forgive us in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we have that having this communion to fellowship and have that in-depth intimacy with you, the spirit to continue. Father, grant us in the mighty name of Jesus. Blessed be your holy name. For your son that you have used, Father, we pray more anointing in his life in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, as this message is coming out from him, you will empower him more with more messages in the mighty name of Jesus. The kingdom of God is the glorious home that we are all looking at. And on that day, Lord, we shall not be found wanting in Jesus' name. Blessed be your holy name. Lord, once again, we want to thank you. Just as the, as the service was going on, Brother Cloudy has been released from the hospital. He has been discharged. We give you glory. We praise you. We glorify you. Thank you, Almighty God. We call upon you and you answer our prayer. Father, we give you honor and adoration. We use this period to remember those that are sick, Lord, that you will set them free and heal them in Jesus' name. As we go this week, Father, you will go with us in Jesus' name. When next we meet here, it shall be testimony in Jesus' name. And for the rest of the year, all our program is in your hand. Take over in the mighty name of Jesus. Glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name, we have prayed. Let us share the grace together in fellowship. Jesus Christ, the love of God and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, some message shall follow. All the days of our life and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.